0: Well, good morning. Well, man, I'm excited to get a chance to be with you again. Uh, for those of you who maybe missed the last time I was here, my name is Jeff Gonzalez, and I have the privilege of serving as uh, one of the pastors at Vale Church in Bloomington, Illinois. Uh, I've, I've I've understood that you guys have been enjoying Jeremy and Jeremy has been enjoying you even so much that you guys have been, or at least Jeremy has taken some, some pot shots at me uh, last week as far as my height is concerned. So uh, I had to remind Jeremy this week that I am his boss still <laughs> and, and that I also told him that yes, even though he is taller I am much better looking. So, I, that, so we, we kind of resolved it at that and everything else. So anyway, I'm happy to be here. Uh, listen, we've been in a series called God of the Underdogs. God of the Underdogs. And a couple weeks back, uh, you looked at Rahab. And, and Rahab, we saw that God surrendered control to God. And God took Rahab, who was a prostitute, And Rahab became the great, great, great grandmother of Jesus. Then a couple weeks ago, you looked at a man called Ehud. And Ehud had a, a definite physical disability that God used it for Ehud's greatest strength in order to rescue a nation And then last week, you looked at David, who had been forgotten, who was in the pasture as a shepherd boy. And God takes David from being a shepherd boy and makes him and brings him to being king. And what I love is that God fills in the gap for David in order to be king. And I want to tell you that that today, I believe that God wants to do that through us, that God wants to fill the gaps of our lives, and that he wants to use us in an incredible way. So today, we're going to look at us. We're not going to look at a biblical character today, but we're going to look at us, and what does God say about us? What I love about the, the story of the underdog is that, one, it's a powerful one. The Bible is just filled with people just like you and me, and he used them in an incredible way, so we are the underdog, so we're going to, we're going to look at us, and we want to see, and we want to press in to what does God want to do in and through me as the underdog, so as we get Get ready. Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll get started. Father, we thank you for today. And God, we just pray right now that as your words go forth, that God, that you would open our hearts, open our minds for what you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. The date is Sunday, January 30th, and the year was 2000. It is Super Bowl 34. And if you can't remember that far back, the two teams represented in the Super Bowl was the Tennessee Titans and the St. Louis Rams. They're no longer the St. Louis Rams anymore. So those of you who are upset and everything else about them moving, forgive me for this story then that I'm about to tell. All right? So I'm going to paint the picture. It's Super Bowl Sunday, right? Here we are. We are 10... Yards away, six seconds left in the game. There is no timeouts. In essence, this is the last play of the game, and this play will represent who will win the Super Bowl. So let me set it up. The Tennessee Titans have the ball. Ten-yard line, six seconds left. The ball is snapped. The quarterback goes back. He's looking for a teammate to pass the ball to he throws the ball to one of his receivers. The receiver catches the ball. And if you were watching it on TV, because I remember where I was and watching the game, for a split second it looked like that receiver was going to be able to run right into the end zone. He caught the ball about three yards out, and you thought, man, you didn't see anyone in front of him. You, were thought, you thought that he was going to score the touchdown. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a St. Louis Ram defender comes racing, dives and grabs a hold of his waist and is bringing him down. And all you see is that Tennessee Titan player reaching his hand out, trying to stretch and make it to the goal. And all of a sudden, the play is over, the Tennessee Titan player falls to the ground, the game is over, the referees blow the whistle, they come running in to see where the ball laid. And if those of you who remember, the ball fell just short about this much. Fell short that much. Think about what that means. The Tennessee Titans fell that short from winning a Super Bowl. That receiver fell that short of being a hero. And I don't know about you, but I can understand and I can relate falling short. Maybe not to that degree of, 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 of a Super Bowl kind of in the midst or, or represented there. But I don't know about you. I'm assuming most of us can understand what it feels like to fall short. Whether you have fallen short in a test grade. Maybe you've fallen short in a relationship. Maybe as a parent, you feel like that you have fallen short. Maybe as a husband or a wife, you feel like that you have fallen short. I don't know about you, but I know for me, sometimes I feel like that I fall short in my faith, falling short of God's standards. And what happens is that when we fall short, the enemy whispers in our ear you're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. You're never going to be good enough. And unfortunately we live in a society and a culture that drives perfection. That, that drives us for accomplishments. And what happens is that when we don't meet those accomplishments or when we fall short, we feel like we have failed. We feel like a failure. And we find ourselves in what I'd like to call for today the performance trap, the performance trap. And what I mean by that is that we find out that when I'm performing well, then I feel like that I'm right with God and I'm right with people. However, when, when I fall short, then I don't feel accepted, I don't feel loved, I feel like I don't measure up, and I feel like a failure. And we find ourselves stuck in this cycle of the performance trap. And we're going to talk about and we're going to look at what that cycle looks like and, and why that, that, that basically holds us from God to be able to do great things in and of our lives. We're going to look at the Apostle Paul today in Philippians 3. And I believe that the Apostle Paul struggled and was in and experienced pressure in the performance trap. In the performance trap. What would it look like for us if we stop living in this performance trap, we stop getting caught in this game of are we good enough? Do we measure up? How can we attain perfection? But instead, what if we thought about how do we, how do we step into who God says we are and what God has planned for our lives so let's look at what Paul has to tell us in Philippians 3, 4. Before I, I start reading it, I want, to, I want to share with you that Paul is getting ready to lay out what you would call or what I would call your resume of righteousness. Resume of righteousness. I don't know if you've ever heard that, but Paul is getting ready uh, to write a list of all his great accomplishments, and he's writing it in a letter to a church. I don't know if you've ever written a letter of all your accomplishments and mailed it to someone. That's probably a little bit awkward, right, to, to recognize and write that all and send it to a letter. Well, Paul is getting ready to write a list of his accomplishments, and he's writing it to the church of Philippi. But I want to tell you that we're going to look at that once he lays out his resume of righteousness, he's going to take us to a place that I believe might push into what a lot of us think and maybe how some of us live. So let's look at what what Paul has to tell us. In verse 4 it says though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I'm going to stop there just to point out to you that Paul here is pretty confident, wouldn't you say? So he's getting ready to, to put his list. But before he puts his list of his resume of righteousness, he lets us know that, hey, I'm pretty confident in myself. I am so confident that if you are confident, I know that I'm more confident than you. So I want you to follow that because Paul is going to show that he is confident and he's going to show that he's done it all. He's done it all. So let's continue reading. So here he's going to start listing his uh, list out. Uh, Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day. I'm going to pause there. Why is that important, you might say? It's because of the fact that Paul brings this up because of the fact that he is showing that even as a baby that he is starting to follow the rules. All right, that his parents are already making sure that that he is doing the things that the religious leaders and the Jewish culture said were important. So not the seventh day, not the ninth day, but the eighth day. So that's important. So let's continue reading on. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews... This is important because of the fact that Paul is stating that I am a Jewish guy, a Jewish man through and through. My heritage is solid. All right? So what he's saying is that if we were to look at what does that mean today, it would mean probably the equivalent of Paul sitting here or standing here in front of you and he's saying, my granddad is Billy Graham and my... Grandma from my mother's side is Mother Teresa. That's what he's saying today. He is saying that he is, by far, he comes from the greatest spiritual line of ancestors that you can imagine. All right, this is his resume. This is his resume. This is where he's taking us. And and he's taking us somewhere because he's going to show us what his resume means. Let's continue on. He says, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a, pro- a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, say this last word with me, blameless, blameless. This word is very, very important, all right? So here goes Paul. So Paul says, hey, started as a baby following the rules. He says, I come from the, from the most spiritual line of ancestors, better than anybody else. And now he's pointing out that he is a Pharisee. Now, for those of you who don't know what a Pharisee is, a Pharisee was not only a religious leader, it was the, the, the crux, right? It was the best of the best when it comes to religious leaders. The Pharisees, in order to become a Pharisee, you had to follow the strictest commands, All right, so for us, to put it in context for us today, I think most of us have heard of the Ten Commandments. Most of us try to follow somewhere within the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not covet, honor your father and mother, right? And and we try to do the Ten Commandments. Well, for a Pharisee, they had to follow 613 laws. So you think you have trouble following the Ten? Can you imagine 613 laws? And the reason that Paul is bringing this up, the reason is because of the fact that he says that I was never accused of breaking any of them. How do I know it? What was that word we, ta- we said at the end? Blameless. All right, so Paul is saying, listen, my heritage is good. I started following the rules as a baby. And now I'm a Pharisee. I have followed all 613 laws. Nobody has ever been able to find me to have broken them. I'm blameless. I'm blameless. So what Paul is saying is Paul is saying if, that, if there is anyone who has reason to put confidence in themselves, I do. If there's anybody that can put confidence in the works that I do... It is me. Now, this is important that you get this because of the fact that Paul is laying out that he is better than all of us at following the rules. He hasn't broken them. All right? Now, here's where we're going to go to next. So, how does, how does this play into our context for today? And here's what I believe, is that I believe that when we are following these rules, that we experience the destruction of this works, righteousness, performance mentality... All right, that we are in a performance mentality. Remember, we talked about this performance trap. So I found three things that I believe keeps us in this performance mentality that does not allow us in order to do everything and be everything that God has called us to be. The first one, if you're taking notes, we attempt to please God by following rules. Say following rules. Following rules. rules. I don't know about you, but when I became a Christ follower, I had grown up in the church I was a, a young boy, and it was, it was clear to me that if I followed the rules, then that would please God, all right? If I followed the rules, I would please God. That was, that was what was conveyed early on as a believer, so guess what? I get my checklist out, right? Because of the fact that, that I'm in this performance trap, so I want to do the things that I feel like is going to attain approval from God. All right, so one of those things might be reading my Bible every day. Reading your Bible every day is a good thing, right? But the, but the challenge, the challenge is, is that, is my heart right with reading the Bible? Because of the fact that if we look at reading the Bible as a way for a performance to get approval from God, then all I found myself doing was checking the box. And I was checking the box just so that I could, that if anyone asked me from the church, hey, did you read your Bible today? Yep, check. I read it. How about praying? Man, praying is a great thing, right? But we got to be careful that we're not praying in, in order so that we can find approval from God, all right? I found myself wanting to just pray just so that I could tell people that I prayed, so that I could check the box. Did you pray? Oh, yeah. I prayed three times today. Take that. Right? But what they didn't realize is that those three times I prayed was for my meal. Right? But I prayed. I could check the box off. So if anybody asked me, I could check that box off. And now I feel like I'm, I'm gaining God's approval. And here's the thing. When we do things so that God is pleased with me instead of a natural response of God living inside of me. Does that make sense? That's what we're trying to get at, is that we have to be careful that we don't do things in order so that we can find approval from God or to please God as opposed to it being a natural response of Christ living inside of me. All right, so the first one is, is following rules or, or things that I need to do. All right, so the next one is we attempt to please God by what we don't do. Say don't do. By what we don't do. All right? And, and, and I don't know about you, but I, I find myself with putting a list of things that I don't do more so that I can gauge myself with how spiritual I am amongst other people around, right? I gauge myself. I don't listen to rock music. But I know some of you that do, right? So um, I'm closer to God, or, I, or God's more pleased with me. I don't go watch, listen to, uh, or I don't go to rated R movies, or maybe, maybe PG-13 if it has bad language. And what we do is we put a list of things that are based on our standards, not God's standards. We put things in on our standards, and I think for a lot of us, we do that in order so that we can please God. I don't know about you, but, but uh, I have kids, and I spend a lot of my time telling them what not to do, right? What not to do. Uh, so it's ingrained in us as kids, right? This idea of you don't do this, and you gain approval. You do this, and I gain approval, All right? So we have to be careful because of the fact that it's ingrained in us as a a young child that this idea of performance gains approval. Performance gains approval. And then the last one that I have is that our worth is based on what we produce and how we perform. This is a big one for me. This is a big one for me. This is one I struggle with, is that... Finding my worth based on how I produce or what I produce and how I perform. The struggle is that we believe that our value and that our worth with God and with other people is based on what we produce and how we perform. I don't know about you, but I remember as a, as a little kid, when I was first learning how to play baseball, baseball was my sport, I loved baseball, played baseball as a very young kid. When I got when I got to T ball and coach pitch and everything else, something amazing happened. Right? When I got when I got a hit, people applauded. Yay! Right? When I when I got out, nobody applauded. So guess what? I grow up wanting to please man. And we translate that into that's what God, that's what that must be what God looks at when he sees us, that we have to perform, all right? So we want to look at that. So those are the three things. As a pastor, I have noticed, I've been, I've been in ministry for 20 years, and I know that as a pastor, as a pastor that I struggle with the idea of producing and performing. Why? Because of the fact that you guys are my greatest critics, right? It's so funny because of the fact that a pastor normally doesn't hear when he preaches a good message, but he certainly hears it when you don't like the message that he preaches, right? Some of you even email in the service while the preacher is preaching <laughs> so that he, get, he gets it before he, as he finishes, as he comes off the stage, he's like, what, what happened, Right? So what happens is that we begin to find our our worth, and and, and it's so easy for pastors to look to see what results are being produced in the church, right? If my student ministry doesn't grow, if my church doesn't grow, if people aren't coming down to the front, finding Christ, then all of a sudden I must be a failure. God must not be pleased with me. And what Paul is going to tell us is that he has a better performance than anybody. And if anybody could have been good enough, it was Paul. And we're going to see that Paul is going to to take all of his religious works, everything that he does, and he's going to say that they were nothing but scubalon. Say that with me. Scubalon. And you're going to say, man, what in the world is scubalon?" And we're going to get to it here in a, in a second, all right? So follow with me. Let's get to verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as, say that with me, rubbish, rubbish. Now, I want to talk a little bit about rubbish, right? Because Paul says that everything that he's done, all this religious works, all this resume of righteousness is rubbish. But I want to focus just for a second on rubbish, because of the fact that we're going to go back to when Paul wrote this. I don't know if you realize this, but, but words over the course of years and centuries and everything else sometimes takes on a different meaning, all right? So the word rubbish in the English language today means garbage, right? So you could say that Paul is saying everything that I've done in my own righteousness following the law is rubbish, right? And that's pretty, you know, garbage is probably not something I'd want to refer to it. Um, But what I want you to see is that the word is not actually rubbish. The word in the original language that Paul wrote it is this word skubalon. And what this word skubalon means, bringing it all down, it simply means poop. (laughs) It means poop. That's how strong... And what I love about Paul is Paul is raw. Now, you have to understand, he's writing this letter to a church. So can you imagine the church leader getting up, right, and starting to read? I have a letter from the Apostle Paul. Uh, Let's all read it. And he reads it, for the surpassing, uh, count them as, ooh, I, I can't say this in mixed company and everything else, right? And Paul is real here, right? And the reason is because of the fact that Paul is trying to really show us, That when we try to gain God's approval, all of those works is as scubalon, is as poop. And what I love about this is that that Paul then takes his resume and puts it up against scubalon. And he says, circumcised, eight day, check. Right? He says, strongest line of heritage, solid background, check. Pharisee, check. Found Blameless found blameless under the law of his righteousness. And he says all of that is scubalon. So what does that mean for us? And what I love about about Paul is that he is basically saying that compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, everything else is scubalon. Everything else, all of his works, everything that he does, doesn't pale in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. So let's continue on. In order that I may gain Christ, we're picking up in verse 9 now, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So here it is, Paul gives us an equation, all right? So Paul first says, hey, everything that I've done, all the good works, everything I've done, all, not rubbish, on. all right? That's That's how serious he is about everything that he's tried to do in and of his own righteousness. So then Paul gives us an equation, and if you're writing something, if you're writing down, I want you to write this equation down, because the equation is not Jesus plus my works, The equation is not Jesus plus religion or church. It's not Jesus plus my heritage. It's not Jesus plus me not sinning. Here is the equation. The equation is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Did you hear me? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That that needs an amen from across the room, right? Amen. Why? Why is that so important for us? Because of the fact that that I grew up in the church, right? I grew up in the church thinking that the Bible was a book of just the do's and the don'ts, that it didn't want me to have any fun. But yet as I read the Bible and got a chance to understand more of, of Christ's love for me, that I realize that that the Bible serves as his guidelines, his guidebook, in order so that I can step into my best life ever. The only righteousness I have comes by faith in Christ, not not by following the law, not by any of my standards. And what I love about that is that now the words that Satan, remember we talked about in the performance trap, the words where Satan says, you're not good enough. God uses those same words and, and uses it to set me free because he says you're not good enough. But my son is good enough. I can trust in him. So the bottom line is we don't have the ability. Everything that we do, all of the works that you're doing, all the checklists that you have and everything else, in order to gain approval from God is all scuba But what I love is that instead of being something that beats me down, understanding that I'm not good enough, instead it's something that frees me under the grace of God because of the fact that Jesus is good enough. So here's the key. Everybody say, but when God. God. All right, Galatians 1.15. But when he or but when God who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his what? His grace. Listen, God didn't call Paul because of his lineage. God didn't call Paul because he was a Pharisee, because he kept all the laws. God didn't call Paul because of anything that he did. God called Paul simply by his grace. And what I love about this is that that it's God's grace is what calls us. It's not what we do. There's nothing we can do. And here's what the problem is, though. The problem is most of us go around and instead of using but when God or saying but when God, we use but when I. But when I. Listen, I wrote some but when I's. But when I am good enough, then I can make a difference for God. But when I finally get a little more understanding of God's word, then I can teach the Bible. But when I get my prayer life where it needs to be, then I could be a prayer leader. But when I get the sin out of my life that's been bothering me for so long, then I'll be able to make a difference. But when I get my life straightened out, then I'll be able to be bold at work. But when I get my marriage back to where it really needs to be, then I can be the spiritual leader to my children. But when I, but when I, but when I, right? And Satan continues to tell you, you're not good enough. And what's beautiful is that God's on the other side saying, you're not good enough. But my son, Jesus, is good enough because of the fact that my son, Jesus, he paid the price, he paid the debt, he fills the gaps that we have, and we no longer fall short because of the fact that Jesus fills that gap for us. I love that. That's good news. The pressure is off. The performance trap is now broken. What used to bind us every single day of trying to earn God's approval and everything else is now gone because God says, you're not good enough. My son is good enough. So what I did was I wrote some things about but when God, all right? So I wrote down, but when God calls you, it doesn't matter what other people think. But when God forgives you, it doesn't matter when Satan tries to bring up the past. You're forgiven, But when God empowers you, no man can stop you. But when God heals you, it doesn't matter what the doctors say. But when God calls, not because you're good enough, he calls because of his grace, and that's what changes everything. If you're writing something down, I want you to write this next part down because I want you to put it on an index card. I want you to put it on a mirror on your refrigerator because this will literally transform the way you think and the way you see God. All right. When I realize that God accepts me through Christ, here it is. I am no longer living for his approval, but from his approval. Write that down. Because the fact, it will change the way you look at God. I am no longer living for his approval, but from his approval. What I believe is that for a lot of us, we walk around... And we believe that when we came to know Christ, when we, when we got saved, that God gave a small dose of approval, that God gave a small dose of forgiveness, a, a small dose of grace, a small dose of love, just in order for me to get saved. And then what happens is that we spend the rest of our lives working really, really hard in order to try to gain God's approval. And I want to tell you that if you're here today and you are a Christ follower, it is good news because of the fact that at the time that you accepted Jesus Christ, that that God gave you all of his approval, all of his love, all of his forgiveness, all of his grace. He can't give you any more. You have it. But yet for so many of us, we live in this trap of trying to constantly approve Get God's approval. And I want to let you know that God wants to use each and every one of us, just like we saw the last couple weeks. When you start looking at people in the Bible, you go, wow, they were really messed up. God didn't use them after they were, after they were right. In most of the cases, he pulled them from where they were at, and they were just like, God, I can't do anything. And God said, nope, you can't. But through me, you can. And I want to encourage you this morning that God wants to do great and mighty things in and through you, not because of the fact that you're good enough, but because of the fact that Christ is good enough. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, and God, we just pray, and we thank you so much that, that, that we aren't good enough and that your son fills the gap and that he paid the price and that, God, that now we don't have to earn your approval. That, God, instead, that we want to live from your approval. And, God, I pray that you would help transform our minds so that we can get that. That, God, that, that we have all of your love, all of your approval, all of your love and your grace. And that, God, we can live from your approval in order so that you can do great and mighty things in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.